Yes. Welcome back, ladies and germs. This is the Nonbeliever Bible Club. Quote, Similarities have long been noted between some characteristics of the detailed law codes of the Babylonian state, such as the need to pay for medical care for an opponent one has injured in a fight in the Code of Hammurabi, and the rulings found in the law codes in the Pentateuch. This is a quote from Chapter 2 of Professor Martin Goodman's extensive book, A History of Judaism. Picked up that baby while I was home for Christmas. Uh! As we have talked about, and as the passage indicates, the formation of the Bible is thanks to the influence of a range of nations. We have Persian influence to thank for angels, according to a statement in the Jerusalem Talmud. Quote, the names of the angels were brought by the Jews from Babylonia. There are similarities between the flood narrative in Genesis and the Sumerian epic of Gilgamesh. It was written down around 1,000 years before the first verses of the Tanakh. Egypt is recognized by Goodman as having a reverse impact on Judaism, which he sees as evident in the Tanakh's large focus on the most apparent aspects of Egyptian religious practice, polytheism. But... It was the comparison to the Code of Hammurabi that really caught my attention. Last week, we finally read the Ten Commandments, delivered to Moses by God, along with the entirety of the Torah and the Oral Torah. As a side note, the Torah includes the death of Moses and all the years leading up to it, so there's a ton of debate over the meaning of this notion that Moses wrote the entirety of the Torah. The scholarship on biblical authorship is something I've gone into extensively on the Bible Club. Things like the documentary hypothesis and the supplementary hypothesis. These are modern responses to this confusion. There are older interpretations. Some say Joshua may have taken over writing duties from Moses, like Frodo Baggins. Researching this, I found another interpretation in a mysterious quote from the 11th century A.D. biblical commentator Abraham ibn Ezra. In response to a line in Genesis, which Moses couldn't possibly have written, ibn Ezra says, It holds a secret of which the wise man should be silent. Cool. Anyway, back to what I was saying before. Because there has been so much work from both Jewish tradition as well as other civilizations on the subject of ethics, and morality codes, I wanted to examine two different codes of ethics from the ancient world and see how they sound. First up, the ancient Egyptian 42 laws of Ma'at. Ma'at is the ancient Egyptian concept of justice, law, and morality, personified by the goddess Ma'at, the daughter of Ra. She is also a loose concept referring to the order of the universe compared to the disorder of her opposite, isfet, or chaos. She holds an ankh in one hand and a feather in her hair. In the underworld, the newly departed's hearts are weighed against the feather. If you are righteous, then your heart weighs the same as the feather, and your soul goes to heaven. If not, your heart is eaten by a part lion, part crocodile, part hippo demon named Amet. They probably meant Damet and you're cursed to restless eternity. Sounds about right. 
how to avoid this. Live by the 42 laws. Dated to around the year 2925 BC, of course. Here we go. I have not committed sin. I have not committed robbery with violence. Already seeing some parallels. I have not stolen. I have not slain men or women. Very important. I have not stolen food. I have not swindled offerings. I have not stolen from gods or goddesses. I have not terrorized anyone. I have not disobeyed the law. I have not been exclusively angry. (laughs) We need to bring that one back for sure. I have not behaved with violence. I have not polluted the water. I have not taken food from a child. (gasps) Candy from a baby. Even in ancient times, huh? In the year 2900 BC, humanity has always known how to spot a dick. Wow. How cool. Well, yeah, these laws are great. I'm a huge fan. Has a nice, you don't fuck with me, I don't fuck with you vibe. Don't disrespect the gods. Guess it's your basic morality cocktail. All right, moving on. Next, the Code of Hammurabi. Found in Mesopotamia, now Iraq, the Babylonian text was composed around 1755 to 1750 BC, around 1170 to 1175 years after the 42 laws. They feel closer to me, to the Jewish 613 mitzvot, of which the Ten Commandments are a part. By this I mean that they include legal code as well as moral code. These codes were carved into a large stone steel, which is the primary copy of the text, and is now held in France at the Louvre Museum. Very cool. All 282 codes are attributed to the 18th century BC king Hammurabi. I guess in the same way as Moses. Hammurabi must have written every single one, even after he died. And fittingly, scholars have been discussing its possible influence on Mosaic law, specifically Code 143. If a man put out the eye of another man, his eye shall be put out. An eye for an eye. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Genesis 9.6 Scholars point out another line from Exodus as a parallel. It's actually coming up in this episode. Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 through 24. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand foot for foot. So there's definitely a scholarship that exists trying to tie these two together. Let's read a few more. The laws are split up by subject. Nice. We have justice, property, irrigation, trade, family, personal injury. Let's do personal injury. Hammurabi 209. If a man has struck a free woman with child and has caused her to miscarry, he shall pay ten shekels for her miscarriage. Whoa, that got dark. Interesting situation, though. If a man happens to strike a free woman and she has a miscarriage, what do we do? The Babylonians have an answer for that. Physicians and malpractice. What? If a physician operates on a man for a severe wound with a bronze lancet, and saves the man's life. Or, 
If he opens up an abscess in the eye of a man with a bronze lancet and saves that man's eye, he shall receive ten shekels of silver. Great. He should get paid. He's a useful guy. 224 or 244. If a man has hired an ox or an ass and a lion has killed it in the open field, the loss falls on the owner. Gotta take responsibility. Okay, I gotta do this one. 153. If a man's wife, for the sake of another, has caused her husband to be killed, that woman shall be impaled. Wow. A punishment befitting the crime. (laughs) You stabbed him in the back. We shall stab you with a giant piece of wood. So, what to make of all this? In last week's episode, I felt that the text of the Ten Commandments was progressive for its time. But... As we can clearly see, laws like these were in active practice in ancient civilizations for literally thousands of years, from the blood for blood of the laws of Noah, back through time to the morality codes of Babylon, to the ethical spiritual laws of ancient Egypt, we see the same things coming up again and again. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick to someone else. If someone else is a dick to you, Don't be a dick to them. Or (laughs) be a dick in such a way that your level of dickness is directly compatible to the level of dickness that they dicked unto you. So, as I usually say, this is only the bare minimum surface level of these ideas. I could do this for hours. I could do this for days. But then there wouldn't be a podcast. So, with a little more education in ethics and morals, from ancient people whose main concerns were oxen and the afterlife. Ah, yeah. Joineth me as we continue with Moses and the laws of God. Chapter 21 Laws for Servants Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve. Okay, so I did not actually see this coming. I think that this is <laughs> this is literally the Code of Hammurabi part of the Bible. Let me look at this. Justice, property, family. Ah, if a slave has said to his master, You are not my master, he shall be brought to account as his slave, and his master shall cut off his ear. Hammurabi 282. Oh, that's the last one then. That's the last code of Hammurabi, ending on a banger. So let's compare what I've read of the code of Hammurabi to what we're about to read in the Bible. To set the scene, this is still God talking to Moses. So he's given him the Ten Commandments, and he's going to follow that up with a bunch of social issues that are too boring and not as sexy to put into the movies. Verse 2. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh year he shall go out free for nothing. Yeah, I think Laban needs to hear that. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. Oh, that's nice. These are nice slave laws. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, The wife 
and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Ooh. So that's how you know those guys that are in it for life, they have that awl hole through the ear. They look like they had gauges when they were 13. And if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men servants do. If she plead not her master, who hath betrothed her to himself, then shall he let her be redeemed, to sell her unto a strange nation. He shall have no power, seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. So basically, you make a girl marry you, and then you don't want her anymore. You can't just give her the Joseph treatment and sell her into slavery somewhere without caring. You're not satisfied. You're the reason why it's not working. Let her go be with someone else. And if he have betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. So she must have the same rights as if she were his daughter. If he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall he not diminish. And if he do not these three unto her, then she shall go out free without money. The funny thing is that I've seen most of these situations happen already in the Bible. Six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. Yeah, Jacob wishes that he had that one. And if he have betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters, Judah and Tamar. Actually, if he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage, shall he not diminish. You could throw that one in too. Judah betrothed Tamar to his son, and he diminished her duty of marriage. Two strikes. So if we've seen anything from this book so far, we know they desperately need these kinds of rules. Laws about manslaughter. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. Ellicott's Commentary for English Readers Ellicott's has been a very helpful and readily accessible Bible commentary that I've used throughout this podcast. On this verse it says, If, that is, without malice aforethought, a man happen upon his enemy, God's providence bringing the two into contact without man's contrivance, and the result is that one slay the other, then the law of the refuge or asylum shall come in. A place is to be provided whither the manslayer may flee, and where he may be safe, at any rate, until the cause is inquired into. So, let's say that in Pulp Fiction, when Bruce Willis runs into Marcellus Wallace in the middle of the street and he hits him with his car, if he killed him, the Bible says that's okay. Good to know. But, if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar, that he may die. And he that smiteth his father or his mother, 
shall be surely put to death. Mm. And he that stealeth a man, and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Honor thy father and thy mother. And if men strive together, and one smite another with a stone or with his fist, and he die not, but keepeth his bed, if he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time, and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. And if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod, and he die under his hand, he shall be surely punished. Notwithstanding, if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his money. In other words, you bought it, you break it. Oof. Slave ethics. It's just as nonsensical as it sounds. I mean, at this time, slavery is a very real part of the society. Part of the fabric of the society. So I guess the idea of having standards is the best you can get at this period of human history. Laws about those hurt accidentally. Verse 22. If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. Wow, I'm really glad I decided to look into the codes of Hammurabi. I like this one better though. Hammurabi's like, 10 shekels ought to do it. Nah. Nah. 10 shekels ain't gonna do it. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And if a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. And if he smite out his manservant's tooth, or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free, for his tooth's sake. Hmm. If an ox gore a man or a woman, that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him, whether oof, he had gored a son or have gored a daughter. According to this judgment shall it be done unto him. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Ox is fucked no matter what. And if a man shall open a pit, or if a man shall dig a pit, and not cover it, and an ox or an ass fall therein, the owner of the pit 
shall make it good and give money unto the owner of them, and the dead beast shall be his. <laughs> his mess to clean up. I wonder if there was a serious problem back then. Every caravan, there was like one asshole who just couldn't stop digging holes. People started falling into it. All of these, these laws are the result of, like I'm, I'm kind of making a joke, but I'm not making a joke because these laws, shit had to happen to people. People had to be gored by oxen. People had to fall into pits till they were like, all right, enough. No more falling into the pit. The pit guy, no more pits. Verse 35. And if one man's ox hurt another's, that he die, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money of it. And the dead ox also they shall divide. Whoa. They shall divide. Or if it be known that the ox hath used to push in time past, and his owner hath not kept him in, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead shall be his own. Wow. That's the way to make it even, huh? I'm going to add one more thing before we continue, because I thought this was very interesting regarding verse 28. Here is Ellicott's commentary for English readers on Exodus 21-28. Regarding the passage, the ox shall be surely stoned, quote, he shall die the death of a murderer. So that's interesting to know that stoning was the common method of execution for a murderer. And regarding the line, his flesh shall not be eaten, an ox killed by stoning would not be bled in the usual way and would be unclean food for Hebrews. According to the rabbis, the flesh might not even be disposed of to the Gentiles, but had to be buried. If this were <laughs> disposed of to the Gentiles, so the Gentiles would get it. Like, yo, <laughs> this is crap, give it to them. Uh, if this were so, the object must have been to mark strongly that whatever creature took human life was accursed. Genesis 9.5 And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man. So, keep control of your livestock, a rule that they would only really need if a group of people were collected in about the same place. Keep control of your livestock, and don't dig holes. Chapter 22. Laws about theft. If a man shall steal an ox, or a sheep, and kill it, or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox, and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So that's interesting. What that means is that if a thief be found breaking up, also translated to breaking in, and be smitten that he die, smited, if he be hit, if he be attacked, and killed, there shall no blood be shed for him. In other words, it's on the burglar. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him. So, if in the dead of night, you're defending yourself and your household, it's fine. But if it's in the middle of the day, 
and you do kill him, when you can clearly see him, then you must make restitution. I think that's funny because we have some laws in modern day saying that if somebody enters your place, you have the rights to kill him, whether the sun is up or not. So at least in some states, they are less forgiving than the Bible. Good to know. Verse 4. If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether it be ox or ass or sheep, he shall restore double. If a man shall cause a field or vineyard to be eaten, and shall put in his beast and shall feed in another man's field, of the best of his own field and of the best of his own vineyard shall he make restitution. If fire break out and catch in thorns, so that the stacks of corn or the standing corn or the field be consumed therewith, he that kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. Arson is bad. If a man shall deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to keep, and it be stolen out of the man's house, if the thief be found, let him pay double. Nice. If the thief be not found, then the master of the house shall be brought unto the judges to see whether he have put his hand unto his neighbor's goods. Hey, anything can happen. For all manner of trespass, whether it be for ox, for ass, for sheep, for raiment, or for any manner of lost thing, which another challengeth to be his, that's my ass. The cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whom the judges shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor. If a man deliver unto his neighbor an ass, or an ox, or a sheep, or any beast to keep, and it die, or be hurt, or be driven away, no man seeing it, then shall an oath of the Lord be between them both, that he hath not put his hand unto his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept thereof, and he shall not make it good. And if it be stolen from him, he shall make restitution unto the owner thereof. If it be torn in pieces, then let him bring it for witness, and he shall not make good that which was torn. So if like animals take it, then it's like, yeah, that happens all the time. On the other hand, the previous verse, if it gets stolen, he shall make restitution unto the owner thereof. Because he didn't take care of it. This may not be narrative, but uh, I appreciate how many bases they cover here. This is still interesting to read, nonetheless. Ugh. Precious little Yahwehs, though. If the supplementary hypothesis of biblical authorship is to be believed, and it seems to be at least the best that we have right now, there's a lot of priestly source in this, which makes sense given that model. Again, if they got it right. But basically, the priestly source comes during the second temple period after the Babylonian exile, which means that the kingdom of Judea was trying to rebuild after this failed war against the Babylonians and their return from captivity. This is the time when it was most important to record everything that they had, all their rules, all their laws, all their beliefs, and all their laws, and all their laws, their dry dry laws that I am having a great time reading though. Verse 14. 
And if a man borrow aught of his neighbor, and it be hurt or die, the owner thereof being not with it, he shall surely make it good. But if the owner thereof be with it, he shall not make it good. If it be an hired thing, it came for his hire. So this is like a weird combination of some of the previous ones we've heard. If you borrow anything of your neighbors and it's hurt or it dies and the owner is not with it, then the borrower has to make it good. But if the owner is there, it's not the borrower's fault. The owner's there. It's under his purview. And if it's hired, that's why you paid him money. (laughs) Verse 16. Laws about fornication. And if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed and lie with her, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. I am not going to lie. A lot of people are here because of this rule. It's kind of crazy when you think of how many generations of Americans were conceived out of wedlock and parents forced to marry each other because of rules like this. No problem if you were, no problem if you weren't. I'm not here to judge. This is here to judge. This section is specifically laws and the judgment and execution of them. It's funny. It gets so complicated in real life. But um, you kind of like it on paper, right? Like, yo, you don't mess around with the girl unless you want to make it official, especially in that time period. These laws are meant to end conflicts. And nothing ends something like starting a family. Verse 17. If her father utterly refused to give her unto him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. Hmm. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Whoa. That one's out of nowhere. Whosoever lieth with a beast shall surely be put to death. Okay. All right. We're just, <laughs> we're just throwing left hooks, right hooks. It's a free-for-all. We're, we're in it. He that sacrificeth unto any god, save unto the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Cool. Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. (laughs) I like that one. Yea, shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will turn this car around. No, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. Let's take a look back. Genesis. And Joseph made ready his chariot, and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him, and he fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. Exodus. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword. 
and your wives will be widows, and your children fatherless. It's almost like it was written by the same guy after he was dead. (laughs) This is Moses' post-death phase, letting it all hang out. Verse 25. If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as an usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. If thou at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge, thou shalt deliver it unto him, by that the sun goeth down. So, if you borrow my man's clothes, get it back to him before nightfall, for that is his covering only. It is his raiment for his skin. Wherein shall he sleep? And it shall come to pass, when he crieth unto me, that I will hear, for I am gracious. Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. Page turn. Thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits and of thy liquors, the firstborn of thy sons, shalt thou give unto me. Likewise shalt thou do with thine oxen and with thy sheep. Seven days it shall be with his dam. Dam meaning the female parent of an animal, especially a domestic animal, and is related to the word dame. On the eighth day thou shalt give it me, and ye shall be holy men unto me. Neither shall ye eat any flesh that is torn of beasts in the field. Ye shall cast it to the dogs. Ellicott's commentary makes the connection between giving their uh, oxen and sheep on the eighth day to the circumcision of the male child on the eighth day. Kind of interesting. It says, The main object of forbidding sacrifice before the eighth day would appear to have regard for the health and comfort of the mother, which needed the relief obtained by suckling its offspring. Chapter 23 Laws about slander and false witness Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. Another translation of this is, Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. Now I understand why you swear on the Bible in court. Verse 3. Neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. So neither shalt thou show favor to a poor man in his cause. And then before, thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. So you will not show your favor to the poor man standing alone or the evil men standing with the support of the crowd. If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again, because that's the decent thing to do. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden, and wouldest forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help with him. Thou shalt not rest the judgment of thy poor in his cause. Keep thee far from a false matter, and the innocent and righteous slay thou not, 
for I will not justify the wicked. And thou shalt take no gift, for the gift blindeth the wise, and perverteth the words of the righteous. Also, thou shalt not oppress a stranger, for ye know the heart of a stranger, seeing ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Laws about rest for land and people. And six years thou shalt sow thy land, and shalt gather in the fruits thereof. But the seventh year thou shalt let it rest and lie still, that the poor of thy people may eat, and what they leave the beast of the field shall eat. In like manner thou shalt deal with thy vineyard, and with thy olive yard. Which is funny, because in verse 29, thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits and of thy liquors. It's talking about wine and olives. Six days thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine ox and thine ass may rest. Rest that ass, and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. And in all things that I have said unto you, be circumspect, and make no mention of the name of other gods, neither let it be heard out of thy mouth. Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee, in the time appointed of the month Abib, the first month of the Jewish year. For in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field, ingathering, three times in the year. All thy males shall appear before the Lord God. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. The first of the fruit f- first fruits, the first of the first fruits of thy land, thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in his mother's milk. Yeah, that's pretty vicious, according to Samuel Beauchard, a French Protestant biblical scholar. There was a sort of cruelty in making the milk of the mother intended for the kid's sustenance the means of its destruction. Yeah, that's pretty metal. Verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before thee. Don't worry, we're almost done, guys. To keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him, and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. That's a cool way to say that. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice, and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies, and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For mine angel shall go before thee, and bring thee in unto the Amorites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. You know, the usual suspects. And I will cut them off.
Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them, and quite break down their images. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread, and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land, the number of thy days I will fulfill. I will send my fear before thee, and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee, and I will send hornets before thee. (laughs) Getting real specific, which... (laughs) I'm sorry. Your enemy will flee before you. Your greatness shall be known. I will send red hornets to eat their paper and make nests in the corners of their houses. And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate, and the beast of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee, until thou be increased and inherit the land. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea, even unto the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. Here we end the 23rd chapter of Exodus and our reading for today. Mostly dry laws. Okay, I could say exclusively dry laws. I thought we were going to get, obviously, last time it was Ten Commandments. So I'm like, great, next time Moses is throwing the Ten Commandments, shattering on the mountainside, yelling at the, you will die by the law. Like, I don't know if that line is actually in the Bible. Charleston Heston in the Ten Commandments movie says, if you will not live by the law, then you will die by the law. It's rad as shit. He tosses the Ten Commandments. They hit the idol perfectly, and there's a huge explosion that sucks them all into the ground, like the end of the Last Crusade. But you know, if they're going to live and die by this stuff, you might as well know what it is. I feel like my moment-to-moment commentary, needed or not, as it was throughout the episode, pretty much sums up my thoughts regarding the bulk of the laws that we are reading. The only thing that I really have to say about it is that, truly, these documents are ancient. It's pretty unbelievable, not just that we have them, but the complexity, situational variety... (laughs) And moral direction present within these laws is fascinating. If you want to study a civilization, look at its laws. Where you really start to get sucked into the matrix with this kind of thing is these have been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And then what happens when somebody in 1950 
lives by those same rules. I mean, the funny thing is we don't do too bad. They aren't that bad as rudimentary laws for humans to follow. Humans, the fuck-ups that we are. It just shows what an unbelievable time that we live in where some of this stuff can be obsolete. Where we can say, okay, so two people should be together if you know they become pregnant. What if they don't like each other? What if they want to do something else? Well, yeah, those are great questions. Those are questions that we get to deal with now. We're not worried about how to survive anymore. Of course, I mean we loosely. I'm not Jewish. And I'm also not trying to say that people don't struggle today. Because they do. But that's all to say. Nothing makes you appreciate your own civilization quite like reading the laws of an old one. I will leave you with one last thought. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. I know the God in this book is all-powerful, but this seems to me to be a moment of... Hmm. It's like if an omnipotent being is admitting that it can't control everything. That last line... It's threatening. It could come off as threatening. But it comes off to me as, um, I don't know, like a mom. Watch yourself because there's some people out to get you. I'm not used to that from this, if you look at God in the Bible as a literary character. There seems to be a, a degree of vulnerability and through that tenderness i'm thinking man i hope these guys don't (laughs) take any other gods before god of course that's exactly what happens next and that's probably the point of it yeah hey thanks for listening this is the non-believer bible club when you leave to go about your life don't forget dodge the wasps Jump over the holes. Avoid the snares. Adios.